I'm going to be reading Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Thanks, Tamara. Isn't that like one of the most wonderful passages of scripture? You know, that is just, uh, that is one of those verses that uh, when we do a study of the person of Christ, we go to Hebrews 1 and how God has spoken to us and made himself known. No love served. That's what we want to talk about today. But I want to start here with a picture of our friend Jules Mboka, who is uh, president of the CEUM, which is what we call the Covenant Church in Congo. And many of you may be familiar with uh, President Mboka. He's been here twice. He's preached here and brought a greeting on another visit. He comes to the States often. In fact, he was just here a couple weeks ago, right after my team was with him in, uh, in Congo. This is when we were in Congo. We were in Karawa, and we had uh, visited the hospital. We had visited Lise Vanette's school, stayed overnight. And the next morning, um, we went with President Boca out to, um, uh, to the Camp Zulo Discipleship Center, which is just outside Karawa. It's a camp that the Covenant has in, in Congo. Uh, and so this was a greet, that was a greeting as we came into town. And this is inside the Discipleship Training Center, and we had a breakfast. Our team of seven from the Covenant here in the U.S. Uh, had a breakfast with several Covenant pastors, uh, uh, Congolese Covenant pastors, and, and with President Boca. And uh, what we were doing this morning is we were learning here of President Boca's vision for expanding and empowering discipleship in all of the CEUM churches. How many churches are there? There's like over a thousand. There's twice as many covenanters in Congo as 1,800 churches in in, uh, in Congo, covenant churches. And so his term, his current term will end in 2020, and they have term limits over there. He'll be done. And uh, he has this vision that by the time he steps away in 2020, that there will be a trained discipleship leader in all 1,800 of those covenant churches in Congo. And we were here on this particular morning, and the next day, pastors from several covenant churches in Congo were going to be coming in, and it's not easy to get anywhere in that part of Congo, but they were coming to spend 21 days together to do their initial discipleship training. This couple on the left is a couple that lives at Camp Zulu. They and a few other couples, along with missionaries Tim and Helen Smith, uh, run the, uh, the center, and they will be doing, uh, or are doing a lot of the training, and did that 21 days of training. Um, <clears throat> this building, by the way, that we're in is one that was designed by our own J.J. Tang. Uh, a few years ago, this was the camp project that Sarah Buki coordinated. Uh, J.J. Uh, donated his time to design this facility. Uh, the American Institute of Architects contributed uh, heavily to it. It's featured in a couple of their journals, and so it was great to be inside this facility. Uh, on the outside here, we can see as we were coming in, they had this beautiful flower arch. You see these things when you're traveling with dignity. I was just this pastor along with really important covenant people, but we got greeted warmly. Uh, here's another picture of the building from the outside, and it's more than a dining hall. This is really one of their key meeting spaces uh, that they have out at Camp Zool. It's really a, a beautiful building. The other end is the, the kitchen. There's a locked storeroom where they're able to keep food and supplies and to serve these pastors who came in for this 21-day ministry, as well as uh, other camps that happen throughout the year. But the point I want to get to is back to President Boca's vision, and that is discipleship. It's important to our sister churches in the Congo, 
is important to us here in our churches in North America as well. Because discipleship says we're not content with just knowing about Jesus. We're not content with just staying at a place where we have gotten saved and made a decision but we want to dig in and learn what it really means to follow Jesus, to learn what it means to really love him and to know his love, and then really allowing and learning and digging into how living with Jesus shapes our lives, our whole lives, not just the spiritual side or religious side, but who we are as people. Discipleship means learning to live like that. And so what I want to say this morning is that discipleship is what we really mean by no love serve. It's what we really mean when we say at Naperville Covenant, no love serve. You've seen this around before. You've seen these three words, haven't you? And maybe if you're new, maybe you've already seen them. They're on the wall. They're literally on the wall out there in, in the narthex. No love serve. We even have it in our parking lot. Do you see our, our banners in the parking lot? Anyone ever notice those things? They're not as, when I ordered them, I thought they were huge. Uh, but uh, yeah, we did those out. Pat, for years, Pat Mueller said, we should have banners in the parking lot that say no love serve. So those are a retirement gift to Pat when she retired about a year and a half ago. And I, I, love, I look at them every day when I come in the parking lot to be reminded what we're about at Naperville Covenant. It's been our tagline, it's been our slogan, and as he pressed into this visionary, we decided we really wanted to, to weave it into uh, who we are and who we are becoming. Discipleship is what we really mean when we say no love serve. It's what we really mean when we say that we were committed to knowing, loving, and serving Jesus in our community. Let's back up just a little bit here and where we are in this four-week series. This is week three of four weeks to remind you that we've been in this revisioning process that started last fall, and it's leading to a renewed strategic plan that will guide us into the next several years and through the pastoral transition that will happen in the next year. And through this long process in which we all played a part, we had times uh, where congregation could speak into it, we've prayed over this, we've done research and study, and we have affirmed then this vision for Naperville Covenant, that we will be an increasingly diverse, compassionate community committed to knowing, loving, and serving Jesus in our neighborhoods and world. We just kind of wanted to get no love serve in there. And then when somebody suggested that we put it in the Jaren tents, the ING, it even came more alive because that's something going forward. That's something's happening and active. More and more committed to knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, serving Jesus here in this community right here and in the world that we're called to minister to. We're in the process then of we've focus areas. We've divided this vision statement of four areas of focus that we're working on. And two weeks ago, we talked about becoming increasingly diverse. Last week, I talked about being a compassionate community. Next week, we'll look at what it means to say neighborhoods, plural, and world. But today, we look at knowing, loving, serving. We've written a, a short paragraph to describe each of these to kind of get us launched. And what we've said about knowing, loving, serving is this. That we want everyone to know God in a relationship with Jesus, to authentically love one another, and to serve God both within the church and as we reach out with the compassion, mercy, and restorative justice of Jesus. This will mean a more focused approach to Christian growth and discipleship for all ages. There's some teeth to a vision there. This isn't just, oh, won't it be great? This is what we are committed to doing This will mean a more focused approach to Christian growth and discipleship for all ages as we discover together across generational lines what it means to know, love, and serve God. And that's what we're looking forward to unpacking and putting together as we work on a strategic plan and specific ministries that will grow out of that. But what I want to establish this morning is that when we say discipleship, what we really mean is knowing, loving, and serving Jesus. And when we say knowing, loving, and serving Jesus, what we really mean is discipleship. 
And as we sharpen our focus, we will discover that discipleship happens in several different ways. And I just want to summarize it under three words, in our, in our learning, in our living, and in our serving. In our learning, and living, and serving. We already sort of just basked in that wonderful reading that Damara did for us from those first three verses of Hebrews. It reminds us that God is a God who makes himself known. God is a God who wants to be known. God is a God who wants to draw us back into relationship with him for that initial creation in his image that got broken and tarnished, and yet God is wooing us back to him. And he has spoken to us in many ways. And Hebrews says, he first for many centuries spoke to us to the prophets, but now more fully and completely he has spoken to us in and through his son Jesus, who is the exact representation of him and the radiance of God's glory. We know God. Know, love, serve. We know God. Our God is a God who can be known. Not completely. We will never know the fullness of an infinite God. But we can know a lot about God, living with him in a relationship with Jesus. We come to know God in this relationship with Jesus through what God has revealed about himself. We come to know God also in the scriptures, the Bible. A main place of our learning is to know the word of God and to know the God of the Bible. And so therefore, reading scripture and studying scripture, listening carefully in classes and sermons and whatever area, other areas, small groups, is we, we, we learn the scriptures. It's learning the stories of scripture. We all want our kids to learn the stories and sometimes they learn them and we kind of go, oh, I forgot that one or what is that one? That's a weird story after all, you know. So it's more than, the stories are important, but it's so much more than learning the stories. It's also learning how scripture works and the why of the whole breadth of scripture. It's a little bit history. It's a little bit theology. It's a little bit poetry. It's a little bit of this apocalyptic literature, which is so weird. We still don't really understand it. It's all those things, but overall, it is the story of God. And as we study scripture, we get to know the the nature of God. We get to know how God is working and, and what his call is on our life. We get to know the nature of God. We come to know what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is, of how we live this life in Jesus. We learn, um, we learn the biblical history. We learn the, the details that explain to us some of the how-tos of, of walking with Jesus. Our learning, this learning and discipleship, also includes learning other vital practices and, and disciplines. We learn spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices. And in fact, I just found out you can order an advanced copy of an awesome new book coming out soon. <laughs> Pastor Diana's book, Spiritual Practices and Community, is uh, early, early. But it's not even going to come out till fall, is it? But seriously, you know, it's a wonderful book. But what Diana is compassionate about is helping us learn these things, learn these ways that they don't make God show up, but they put us in a place, as in, in community, particularly in Diana's book, but put us in a place where we might experience more the goodness, the presence, and the power of God working. These are things that we learn in order that we might connect more deeply and grow as disciples. Our learning includes these practices and disciplines. We learn things about prayer. We learn that prayer is both speaking and listening. We learn what it means in this rhythm of, of sin, confession, and forgiveness, and then growth and learning from failure and moving forward. We learn how that works. We learn about giving and generosity. We learn that, that giving and that generosity is woven through the scriptures, and we learn how that works in the life of a church. We learn about sacrifice and serving. We learn about the place of gratitude. We learn the realities of what it means to live a, 
a life of humility where we put others first. All these things we learn. And especially we learn, um, we learn what worship is and we learn how to worship. It reminds us as we learn about worship, this, this is not a show you came to, even though somewhere in the last few hundred years we figured out that you design a sanctuary like a theater and I'm performing up here while you all listen and you'll go home and evaluate whether it was worth the price of admission or not. But that's not what worship is. <laughs> worship is, is me hopefully providing some direction and Kayla and others up here so that we might all learn a little bit more and experience God in a rich way. So we learn about worship. There's so much to learn in the Christian life. You may have been a Christian for a long time and feel you've barely scratched the surface of all that's to be learned. I might have run through that list. You might have went, you know, I don't know much about that thing. Sometimes we misunderstand discipleship to be only what we learn and only about education. It is about the stories, about the facts, about the theology, about the truths, about the practices. But discipleship is broader than what we just simply learn and put into our head. Discipleship is about learning, but discipleship is also about living. And one of our key discipleship verses about this is found in Paul's letter to the Colossians. Where in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, he says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. This is one of the few places that Scripture actually uses the word of receive Jesus. We use that a lot sometimes in our sharing of faith. But the Apostle Paul says, you've received him as Lord. Now live in him, Paul says. Learn the facts, but learn what it means to live your lives in him, rooted and grounded. In fact, a whole discipleship course and system by a group called the Navigators is called the 2-7 series because of Colossians 2-7. Rooted and built up in him, strengthen the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Live your lives in him. Dig in and understand what a difference he makes in how you live, how you make decisions, how you spend money, how you, uh, how you conduct yourself in your school and on your job, how you prioritize the things in your life, how you choose those times where you will serve others and get a focus off you. He, he helps you decide these things and, and how you live them. How is Christ present and real in this situation? How is Christ real and present in this difficult relationship? How is Christ real and present in how I conduct myself in my vocation and in my neighborhood. This is not just learning. This is living and figuring out as we try things and even as we fail and make mistakes and as we learn from one another. Now, some of you know the history of our denominational background, but the Evangelical Covenant Church grew out of some revivals in Sweden back in the 19th, early 19th century. And those early covenanters in Sweden were Lutherans because if you lived in Sweden, you were a Lutheran. But they began to be influenced gradually. Some of these believers began to be influenced by something called German pietism. Now, pietism is a little bit of a scary word, doesn't it? Sounds, because it sounds so much like pious. And pious for us has gotten us kind of associated with those people that we say are so heavenly good, they're no earth, no, so heavenly minded and no earthly good. You know, or they're so, they're so holy that they're kind of annoying. You know, that's not what pietism is. Pietism emphasized a living personal faith. Pietism emphasized what it meant to have a living relationship with Jesus. 
the Lutheran church at that time, this is not a condemnation of the Lutheran church, but at that time there was a strong emphasis on knowing the right theology and being able to speak the right doctrine. If you said you believed these 12 points in a confession, you were a good Lutheran. They were all true. They're all right. The early covenanters agreed with all those things, but something was missing, and the German pietists had begun to discover this freshness of, of living life together in Jesus. We as Americans get part of it. We like to live life in our own personal, private, my faith is my own thing, quiet time, and that's okay, but we are called to live life together, and that's what the early covenanters discovered. You know how the covenant churches started? They started in small groups. And you know what they did? They sang praise choruses with guitars. It was scandalous in the Lutheran church that you could worship God that way. But that's where it started. And they drank a lot of coffee. That's why I'm a covenanter. But anyway, the important thing is that their focus was on knowing Christ personally. And it actually made them a much more missional people than their Lutheran sisters and brothers. Because they wanted others to experience this and know the profound impact that a living, active faith in Jesus could be real and bring life to them. This living legacy that these early covenanters left us, that we must reclaim as this doing, this living in community, this idea of small groups, whether it's formalized small groups like we have, but simply learning together and encouraging each other and keeping each other accountable. We ask questions of each other. And the early covenanters had two questions that they asked each other. They did it in Swedish, but I don't speak Swedish, so English is better here. The first one was, how goes your walk? How goes your walk? Walk meaning your walk of faith with with Jesus. And this wasn't like a checking up on you. Did you have five quiet times this week? Have you read a third of the Bible? You know, it wasn't that kind of how goes your walk. It was, how is it going? And it was a question to say, this is what I'm learning. This is what I'm discovering. This is where I feel. This is where I'm struggling. This is where Christ was real to me. This is something I absolutely do not understand about the word of the God. Let's talk about it together. How goes your walk? How are you being formed in Christ? And the second question is, where is it written? Where is it written? Because they've always been, we've always been people of the word. Now, what I like to say these days, when there's a lot of controversy about things, where is it written is not, where is it proof texted? Okay? (laughs) How can you prove whatever you want by finding something in the Bible? That is not what it means. It's like, how will we live? Rather than simply pulling a verse saying, this proves something, let's say, what does this mean in the context of where it is? What does this mean in the context of the whole word of God? What does this mean in terms of God's call on our life? Let's dig into and know the scriptures rather than just hearing some speaker speak to us from a screen saying, this is what it means, this is what it means, this is what it means. Or some pastor. (laughs) Let's look at it together. It empowered the people of God to dig into the word together and to discover together what it meant and what it said. And so, how goes your walk? How goes your walk and where is it written were key? They addressed faith and practice and living. Living together. It's a challenge for us in our busy lives, isn't it? Especially in the, in the last decade or two. I've, just, I've been a pastor for over 40 years now and it seems like it's getting harder and harder to, to do this church thing. It becomes, even for the most committed people, sort of a, a hit and miss when we can engage ourselves in what's going on in life at church. And I would dare say that whatever you do with anything else, if you can be in relationship with other believers to say, I want this living the Christian life to be a real thing. 
Frankly, people, it's part of why we're losing believers. It's part of why we're losing a generation. It's we did not show them a living faith. We showed them a culture that we wanted them to be a part of rather than what it really means to live and to wrestle and to be honest about the struggles of living the Christian life and clinging to Jesus in the midst of it. We've got to recapture and reclaim this. This is the heart of discipleship, is yes, our one-on-one relationship with God, but also the vitality of working together, learning together, and living together. Know, love, serve. Serving is the third part. Knowing, loving, serving. Living and serving. When we say serving here, we, it, includes our, our, it includes our volunteering. It includes our volunteering within the church, but it also includes outreach and mission. And so serving is that what we do to then share with others. Sometimes we define discipleship too narrowly as just that learning part and say, well, serving doesn't happen until we've been discipled and then we serve. That, that, that it might be the result of, of, of being a disciple. Uh, but there is learning and there is living in our serving. Even as we practice this serving, our young people who stood up in here and said they, they, they've, they've worked in Kingdom Kids, they've worked in, which is our children's worship program that they just went out to. When they work at VBS, it's a part of their exploring that this, is this real and am I, am I gifted and, and shaped for this kind of thing? We talked about it in a series that we did earlier in the winter. Remember that long, long winter, the winter that was 60 months long? In the middle of it, we, we, um, we had a series called Discovering Our Shape, S for Spiritual Gifts, H for Heart or Passion, A for Our Abilities, P for Our Personality, E for the Experiences that Shape Us. We find places, that's part of our discipleship too. It happens in our serving. Discipleship, learning to be like Jesus. It happens as we serve and as we reach out. Even our missional, sometimes we draw a contrast between discipleship and mission when in fact there's a blurred line. As we are out serving, we, we look and we say, are these, when Jesus said he, he, he had compassion for people because they were lost and hurting and ha- is, is that who these people, who are the people that Jesus is talking about there? Who are the people over whom, what are the situations in our culture over which Jesus' heart would break today? And are they breaking our heart? That's part of our discipleship. That's part of forming who we are too. Not just the practices, not just the knowledge, all very important, but really getting out there on the edge of what's going on in our world and saying, where does Christ confront this and what's happening in me? Even in our Sunday school class where we're pressing into these issues of race and racism, this is part of our discipleship too. What are the questions that are raising in me? What are the things that are challenging me that I always thought were the right way, but maybe they're not? Discipleship is asking those questions of ourselves as well. Asking the questions about the brokenness and injustices we see right in here in this room when we begin to really share our own stories that makes us sensitive to hearing them outside the walls of building as well. And in what kind of acts of mercy and compassion does it call us to? And acts of justice. As I said, sometimes we might be tempted to draw a line between discipleship and outreach. Discipleship being something we do in here and mission being something we do out there. But that's too narrowly defining discipleship is too narrowly defining mission. Because in reality, the line is blurred and they, they feed each other. The things we learn here compel us to go to the world and the things and the questions we ask there compel us back here to learn more deeply who we are, and is this thing about Jesus really real, and does it work? And so we constantly live in that 
not so much a tension, but a creative and a spiritual tension of making sure this thing is real. And yes, I believe it is. Of course it is. But we need to live it and be serving and active and confronting these things together. At the heart of it is Jesus, because our vision statement doesn't just say no love service, it says knowing, loving, serving Jesus in our neighborhoods and world. We've blurred the line there a little bit too, where we talked about being committed, knowing and loving and serving Jesus in our neighborhoods and world. So it speaks of what we learn and live here and learn and service here, but also as we put it to practice, as we move in to the places where we live and work in the places in the world where God has opened up relationships for us where we can make a difference, like our relationship with our friends in the Congo. At the center of it all, of course, is Jesus. Know Jesus. Love Jesus. Serve Jesus. Be like Jesus. Selflessly serve and love him and the people that he loves here and there. Discipleship is what we really mean when we say knowing, loving, serving Jesus. Some of you know that in Scripture sometimes it says, there are three things about the Lord. Yea, there are four. Anybody know that little pattern? It shows up in certain parts of the Old Testament. I have three points this morning. Yay, even four. <laughs> Yay! And some of you are going, ooh, uh, how long is this one? <laughs> and when he steps away, it means he doesn't have notes. He's just going to talk. But anyway... Um, <laughs> And I made up a word for the fourth one. So it's living, learning, living, serving, and churching. Churching. C-H-U-R-C-H-I-N-G. You'll get a red squiggly if you type it. It's not a real word. But I think that's part of our discipleship too. You, you are the committed ones. You, you showed up today. And I'm so grateful that you're here. And several of you will stick around for the meeting afterwards. Our discipleship happens in our churching. There's a lot of detail. There's a lot of paper. There's a lot of words. There's a lot of processes. I don't think Jesus really expected us to have big, beautiful buildings that need heating and air conditioning and all that stuff. But this is the way we do it now. And we have a responsibility and a stewardship for all of it. But at the heart of our responsibility is that we don't get distracted by this stuff, but we let it serve the mission. And so as people in our churching, we must keep Christ essential and the mission he's called us to. It calls us to get off-center ourselves and get centered with him. And so I encourage you to be part of this process in our church. We need the participation of all of you in this. Whether you're brand new or been here for years, or staying connected here is hard and you can only be here from time to time. If this is your church, we need you to be living out your discipleship and how you will be churching in the days ahead as well. But it comes down to here. In fact, Diana, join me because we are going to move towards communion, which can also feel like just a practice. You know, yeah, it's first Sunday of the month. We always do communion. I wonder if they'll ever pass it out in the rows again. <laughs> no, it must be easier for them to do it up front because that's what they do all the time. Must be. Yeah. No. No. Stop. This is a gift from Jesus. This was a, a gift that we could touch and that we could smell and that we could taste and that we could see. And that every time we do it, whether it's weekly in Catholic Mass or in some of our Protestant settings, or it's once a year as some of our Protestant sisters and brothers do it, timing doesn't matter. What matters is what it is of Jesus inviting us to himself, 
to claim who we are in Christ and also to claim who we are as sinners and say we need the grace that is here or we are lost. And so this table of grace establishes Christ at the center of who we are as individuals and who we are as a church. We pray as we move forward. Lord, we really are nothing without you as risen living Lord. And with all that's flying around us and decisions to be made and processes to unpack, we want it all to draw us closer and deeper as disciples, followers of you, and that you would be at work forming who we are, that we would be more like you. Be present among us now as we continue to worship and as we share together in your name. Amen.